What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. All right, everybody, welcome back. Episode number 277. This is In Liberty and Health. I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. I've followed this guy for a little bit, and he's done um, a bunch of my friends' podcasts and has um, done a lot of really, really cool and interesting work. And um, his history really, really intrigues me, specifically when it comes to the Epic Times, so I'm sure that we'll get into that. But um, make sure you hit all the links below to find where you can find not only my guest, but myself, everything I got going on, world's best supplement, company, tigerfitness.com, LMNT for the world's best electrolytes. I'm literally drinking their raspberry um, electrolyte right now, and it's fantastic. Can't recommend them enough. And uh, yeah, um, I think that's all I got for this part, so let's rock and roll. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. One more time. Hello, everybody, and welcome, Liam. How you doing, man? Good, man. Thank you for having me. It's good to, it's good to meet you. And um, we were just talking off air that you found me through Dave DeCamp. Um, but we actually didn't, we didn't conclude the story. So how did, how did, how did, how did Dave uh, introduce you to me? <laughs> well, you know, I, I mentioned the Epic Times at the beginning and I remember him saying, oh, well, you know, oh, he would say like some of his articles got republished on uh, the Epic Times or in certain places. And he said, oh yeah, I talked to uh, Liam and he's like, yeah, I don't, I like hate that the Epic Times is such China Hawks, but <laughs> like, you know, they always bury the stuff about that. And like anybody that knows me or has followed me for any length of time knows that like the China stuff just drives me nuts because that is like the big one and nobody talks about it. But for some reason, all the libertarians just fall right in line with populist right wingers when they're just absolutely god awful on China. Well, not all of them. I don't know which libertarians you're referring to, but um, the ones I follow definitely don't. And that's kind of the big, big divide on kind of fear mongering about China. But um, yeah, so did he did he say this publicly or was this like a private conversation? It was a, more of a private conversation, oh, but okay. I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing the details. No, it's um, fine. I, I don't mind talking about it either. But yeah, so that is that is 100% true. Um, and it is funny, like, yeah, I never really think about that when because I know I'm a libertarian. I've kind of always been one. Mm -hmm. um, actually, in college, I, I became a little like ambiguous slash almost lefty for a while. But um, then Peter Schiff uh, pulled me pulled me out of it. If you've ever uh, followed Peter Schiff, but um, well, you know it's really funny that you mentioned Peter Schiff, and I heard you talk about this on a different podcast. 
he's the one that initially and i hate to interrupt you kind of go in your yeah. intro but like this is a really really important point he was kind of the first one that planted the seed of doubt in my mind that china is the big bad boogeyman because i remember him talking about like hey we like largely benefit from these trade deals so like why are we trying to pick a fight with them like they make yeah. our lives better so like that was a first seed and then just over time listen to a lot of guys from the libertarian institute dave scott um Pat McFarlane, a lot of those guys, Connor Freeman. Um, eventually I was like, oh, China's a boogeyman. Like this is just you know, fear mongering for the military industrial complex. Yeah, I mean that that's that's probably a lot of a lot how a lot of it originates. Um mm -hmm. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Peter, I remember Peter saying that like early on when I used to listen to him all the time. I've kind of tapered out because he is a little too strictly econ now, which I can get into. My theory is that that yeah that happened when the George Floyd stuff happened. He had this one, um, cause I was a big Peter Schiff fan. I would listen to every yeah. podcast and he had this amazing George Floyd podcast where he just called out that the trial of Derek Chauvin was, I know exactly which one you're talking about too. He got, uh, he, he lost one of his advertisers. Exactly. He starts the podcast by saying this podcast is sponsored by the truth because all of my advertisers are too yep. big of powers to sponsor. And I was like, Oh my God, let's go. And then I listened <laughs> to it. I didn't really follow the trial, but the case Peter made, was very strong that there was just basically no case for any of these charges against him. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely sympathetic to police brutality, so I don't mm -hmm. mind slapping him on the wrist or whatever. I don't think he deserved the sentencing he got. But yeah. so then what happened after that podcast is Peter, Peter actually said this on the podcast and he was like, um, Oh, you know, I'm going to separate econ political ones. So I don't lose sponsors next time. He kind of just, caved because I, I get it i mean the revenue is probably pretty nice but um after that point it was basically all econ all fed and like i love to criticize the fed but i can only listen to it so much um Great. so i still love him i mean he really it was him on joe rogan like i wouldn't even consume media really but of course like most kind of you know people was watching joe rogan and i listened to peter and he's just so good at explaining these things that it it sparked me sparked me alive again but um yeah, I forget where we're going with that. We were talking about um, Dave DeCamp and, and China. So oh, basically, uh, yeah, epic times. Yeah, so I was going to say, it's funny how, because we were also talking about this other guy from Empire Files. Mm -hmm. It's funny how, like, because I've always known I'm a libertarian. So when I approach people and say these things, it's like, to me, it's always been my belief. But it's funny when you're at an institution like Epic Times, how much people judge you. That's kind of what I learned when I was there, because I was like, I would have taken a job anywhere. I would have taken a job at CNN. I would have gotten fired pretty quickly, but um, I still would have taken it. I was looking yeah. for work. I got hired like wherever I could. And I figured, and I knew they were kind of neocon. And I was like, well, great. I'll go in there and I'll, you know, shake things give, up, give some libertarian influence, shake things up. Um, it turned out to be just be a fantastic opportunity because they needed people in DC. So I moved to New York from DC and they started putting me in the Pentagon and the State Department. I was like, Whoa. this is pretty dope. I did not know I'd be doing this because they were manned down. And then they had to put up with my foreign policy views for a while because they were manned down. And a lot of people there, I mean, everyone there's like either like foreign or like severely autistic. And I'm not kidding. Like, there are, <laughs> like no one can, can, no one could do it. I mean, you can go, you can probably go watch them now. A couple of them are there and you'll see what I mean. Like um, they're just really socially awkward and like they can't uh and I'm not great at public speaking either, but like mm -hmm. they just kind of are a wreck. And so, um, yeah, I was in this really unique, lucky situation where it was like, I was at this kind of neocon outlet, but I could still go to the Pentagon and state department and push back. And then, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just funny how much stock people put in that. 
Because I remember I was in um, New York at the time and I was hanging out with the Reason Magazine guys who suck, but I was trying to get a job there too. Right. And they, you know, I'd say, oh, I'm writing for the Epic Times. I'm, they're talking about hiring me. And like Nick Gillespie and these guys would be like, wow, the Epic Times? What about the Falun Gong stuff? I mean, this is, how could you, you know, be a part of that? Which I have no idea. I still don't, to this day, I don't really know what Falun Gong's all about. But okay. um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fun journey. And we can get into uh, why I was fired eventually from Epic Times, which was, you know, didn't really matter to me because I had been talking to Max Blumenthal at the Gray Zone, and um, it it ties into the Gonzalo Lira thing. But we we can get into that later if you want. No, no, I actually kind of want to talk about that now. So, like, when it comes to Falun Gong, they're literally a cult in China that believes in chi energy, and like this sounds crazy, but um, I, I'm not 100 on this because well, I haven't like looked. Yeah, no, this I mean, this is interesting. Let's so let's talk about this. So, I sure. my experience of it is. Um, well, my assumption of it is, so I've heard that many times from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and my assumption of that was like, could be true, could be Chinese propaganda because they are this dissident religion or whatever. And, you know, I wish we had China's foreign policy, but I'm glad we don't have their domestic policy, even though we're getting there. Yeah. Um, but so I remember, so I was talking to a pretty high up guy. He's like one of the, he was a, basically a co-founder of the Epic Times. And I just went in his office and like chit chat him with him for a while. And I did ask him what Falun Gong was. And he starts explaining it. And he was like, oh, you know, I just I've always used it for me- it's basically meditating for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but China made up all these lies about us. And he was like he was like the finance guy or something. But he was one of the good guys. He was a very nice guy. Sure. Um, he didn't strike me as one of these neocons. I mean, and actually, the interesting thing about like how Epic Times is became neocon is really the founder is this Chinese dissident who had to. Um, flee China and start this paper in his garage in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So he's a super impressive dude. And he rightfully dislikes the Chinese government because he was, mm-hmm. you know, he was doing what Americans should be doing and kind of adversarially reporting on their government. But then, you know, it's grown into this body where it's like they hate China so much that they want to go to war with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how it's slowly become aligned with like the U.S. military complex and, and neocons. Um and, and the reason they love Trump so much or, you know, they're pr- he's probably kind of waning on them, but was because Trump, if you remember, was the first president to really demonize China. Um, Trump, I generally like on foreign policy, but that was one big thing where he just like talked a big aggressive game against China. So the Epic Times like loved Trump. And that's how that all that's how that all started. It's basically just an organization that hates China and wants to make you hate China. So everything it does is in service of that. That's kind of the... Uh, TLDR of Epic Times. Well, so like part of the problem here is that like um I'm probably gonna butcher this line, but so like I believe it was the Falun Gong that actually received CIA money from the National Endowment for Democracy. And part of that was upheld by that. So I mean literally there is CIA funding going to the Falun Gong who yeah. runs the or my understanding is I've, I've heard that too. I think I think it maybe it's CIA too, but I've heard it's State Department money. does go to it um and that and it somehow works its way into epic times i've heard so basically the epic times is kind of like a state (laughs) department funded entity yeah but so yeah i mean if you feel i'm I'm interested to know like what aspects of it are cult like if you've um if you know about it i just kind of refrain from judging because i didn't care to learn about it but yeah um, well i mean you weren't like there to 
push your, you know, an anti-China agenda. You were just there because yeah, you know, quite the opposite, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think you were just there because you you wanted a job in kind of this field, and that's kind of just where you ended up, right? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I've never, I've never. Well, actually, when I first kind of got into like um, just reading the news and kind of becoming aware of what's going on, I did actually have that anti-China streak because you just oh, you, so did I. If you read mainstream sources, you're kind of like, oh yeah, what's China like doing? Uh, meddling in the what's the talking point the military likes to use? Meddling in the uh, the South China Sea. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's hilarious. Or the Indo the Indo Pacific. That's what oh, they yeah, always call right, it, the Indo Pacific. Yeah, yeah, I've just heard like Mike Pence and these and these like just the most mainstream politicians will like they'll try to give a laundry list of what China's doing. That's like their main one because they just can't think of anything like you know actually good, but. Um, yeah, I, for, I forget where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. So like, yeah, quite the opposite joining Epic Times to um, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't. Well, I didn't join to make them love China, but I did join. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to cave on my libertarian principles. And so there's so many examples of this. I mean, I've, I've thought about publishing it, but I don't want to, like, break an NDA and get sued, um, the, which I'm doing now. But, you know, hopefully they don't see it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there, there was this one hilarious uh, instance where. Um, I had to watch, and this is the other thing about like working in kind of the mainstream media is like, they make you watch these congressional hearings that are like four hours long and super boring. And all of them are basically like, how do we like, there are these fake kind of conversations and dilemmas. Like there's obviously the ones that go mainstream, which everyone sees, but there's these yeah. smaller ones that no one watches and whatever they're talking about. This one was like, how do we combat hype? Like, what about hypersonic missiles? It was like a, um, you know, a powwow on hypersonic missiles mm -hmm. and th and there's basically for four hours they don't say anything substantive but the overarching theme of what everyone is saying the members of congress and the people in the military who they're interviewing the overarching theme is well we need to be spending more money on hypersonic missiles and mm -hmm. giving the military more money so i had to watch four hours of this and i couldn't stand it because i'm like seeing through it the whole time yeah. and so i write the article I give them fair treatment. I include the quotes from the various congressmen and military experts. And at the end, I reached out to um, Ryan McMakin at the Mises Institute, mm -hmm. uh, if you know him. Yeah. And I just got a quick comment on him. Like, what do you think of hypersonic missiles? Does the government need to be pursuing this? And McMakin was like, no, it's just total bullshit. Like, we, we have the nuclear triad, which is like our missile silos, our submarines, and our bombers. Mm -hmm. And hypersonics don't disrupt the nuclear triad. So like, it's not like just because Russia has this advanced faster missile, there's no chance they're going to use that on US soil because we still have the nuclear threat against them. Uh, yeah. so, I just, so I just include that quote at the end. And I thought it was brilliant. It was it was true. It's like, yeah, we don't need this fear mongering. He had some good comments like this is typical Washington fear mongering. They never, you know, mm -hmm. miss an opportunity to raise funding. And so my editor takes it out and oh. says, but, but funnily enough, like the justification she gave, normally they say like, they try to give a justification mm -hmm. and she did. She's like, oh, this guy's kind of like an econ guy. And then she said, uh, like I'm quoting basically, and I disagree with his analysis. So the editor came in and gave us a reason. Well, I disagreed with his analysis, so I'm not gonna put it in. And then I also countered the econ guy thing. I was like, well, he's not an econ guy. He actually has a, he was a, uh, he has a uh, degree in like foreign affairs or something like that. And he's written okay. tons of books and articles on history. Yeah. Um, so it was like, that's just kind of one niche example, but there were so many of those where I was like pushing and pushing the boundary each time until I finally, uh, put it over the line with Gonzalo Lira. Okay, yeah. Th 
Yeah, no, no, no. I, I want to get into that, but I remember uh, Dave DeCamp specifically saying like, oh yeah, I, I would put, you know, the the reasonable China stuff in the articles and they would always like shove it way down at the bottom or try to like not include it. And basically like, I guess to put a bow on that is that um, I, I'm much like you, I once bought into the, all, all the anti-China propaganda. And then now literally a couple months ago, I literally did a whole podcast debunking the China's buying all the farmland. Cause if you actually look into it, it's literally like a fraction of 1% of all foreign owned farmland that China owns. It's, it's just total fear mongering all chart, the time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you look at a Statista, they they show how it goes. And I think it's like 2014, China bought some pork company, and then it went up a decent bit, but then it's pretty much remained stagnant since. I have a buddy of mine that's telling me about uh, supposedly China's buying um, like buildings in Vancouver or something like that, or somewhere in, uh, I want to say Washington, I think it is. And he said that they're like inflating the prices super high. I'm like... Anytime I hear people say China's doing this, China's doing that, I immediately am super skeptical because, like, of the vast, 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 vast majority of the time, it's bullshit. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'm exactly the same way, and and sadly, it works. I mean, like, to be honest, we're we're in the huge minority. Like, my parents, who are very libertarian minded, but they do watch Fox News basically all day. Yeah. And you know, if China comes up, it is hard to have a rational conversation. But um, but they'll listen about they'll reject the propaganda about russia and about the middle east at least sometimes yeah sure i mean like early on we got into some like israel arguments um but oh, yeah, they lose that one though no no they've come around on that one okay good sure. good um they're i mean my my parents are, are um are definitely smart and they're like they have genuine libertarian principles and they also would not want to go to war with china yeah um they're not that crazy well they're not crazy at all but they're not like i mean that that is a surprisingly crazily mainstream view among Republicans, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I mean it's wild. Just like the, these war games that they do with China, like as if like you know, as if uh, just as if you would even entertain that possibility, right? Of like going to war with China, as if we're just going to stick to like you know con conventional battleships or whatever, and then when one side loses, it's like all right, well you fought a good fight, and then like not resort to the use of nuclear weapons, which hopefully would happen. But it's like, I mean, it's so insane to think about that, why you would even take that risk. Um, I, people just don't think of the consequences, sadly. I mean, I know um, from being in the Pentagon, I've uh, talked to like some Pentagon officials just off the record. Cause I try to like, yeah. I try to understand them and like know, you know, what, um, how they think and stuff. And I just remember like, um, well, first of all, it's really hard to get through to a lot of them, but I was speaking to this one general in particular and he, or like a brigadier general, I think. Um, and he was just like, I kind of asked him about that. I was like, like, you know, why, why does it matter? Cause if it goes to nuclear war, like we're all dead. And he's like, well, we, you know, we need to make, he just didn't answer. He was like, we need to make sure we can win a war. We need to make sure if we have to fight, we can win. <laughs> Yeah. And then they, he said he said a lot of the things that they say in public. So it wasn't too fruitful of a conversation. But I think I think that's the scary thing, actually, is that a lot of these guys believe like the public, like ridiculously banal and stupid talking points. And like, th I think those talking points, if they're actually believed take us down a very dangerous road of just like escalation and, and brazen acts that can ruin. Can, even if we don't go to war, it could ruin relationships like the petrodollar. And then, you know, we get huge inflation. Um, so, yeah, anyways, I'm, I'm kind of rambling here. But 
Oh, so back to Falun Gong though, was there any, what, what's like the most cult like thing you heard about the Falun Gong? Uh, basically just like the whole chi energy thing, um, through meditation, just that kind of stuff is ridiculous. Um, sorry, my buddy Kevin here. Uh, I don't think they want to go to war with China. I think they view it as an inevitable context, such as Ray Dalio's explanation of the changing world order. Um, I'm going to push back on this and Liam, I'm sure you could add a lot to this as well. Um, literally all of Biden's officials, uh, Anthony Blinken says like, we're going to go to war with China eventually. Uh, Jake Sullivan also says like, um, my number one objective is to make sure that we don't fight a war with China. And then if number two or if number one fails to make sure that we win, um, uh who is it uh he was just out for colon surgery uh oh god what the hell is his name lloyd austin lloyd austin yeah lloyd austin is also a huge china hawk and says that we're gonna go fight a war with china this was hillary clinton and barack obama's plan back in 2012 with the pivot to asia they said now we're going to go fight a war with china now like this isn't <laughs> this is why i pushed back so hard against the china stuff because what, what's um, sorry what's that and okay. i and i i agree with that guy on some level i mean i think there are there are millions of people in the government yeah. of different views and stuff. And I hope the cooler has prevail. But so, yeah, so yeah what, what was the thing you just said about uh, Clinton and Hillary? Did they oh, have some uh, directive or memo or something where they're like, we're, we're focusing on China? Well, yeah. So like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama back in 2012 um, launched the uh, pivot to Asia where they decided they no longer wanted to fight terror wars and that now the next, you know, however long is going to be decided on great power struggles. So they put China at number one, they put Russia at number two and Iran it was either Iran or North Korea at number three. I want to say it was Iran, though. So, I mean, this is why you constantly hear our number one enemy, China, China, China. Um, and, and Kevin corrected. I'm um, speaking for the general population, not the neocons. Yeah, the neocons. And I think some of the general population, I think they want to fucking fight a war with China. I, I think there are some people that are like, you know, they're yeah. taking over the world. They're buying all the farmland. Fuck, I even heard people saying that China was sending ballots over here for Biden. I mean, people <laughs> are insanely propagandized against China, just yeah. like the leftists with Russia. But I, I think like the right wingers are just as bad and sometimes probably on the more extreme ends worse. Like you listen to people like Steve Bannon, his whole deal is about China. And I wrote a whole article about why I think he's compromised in this respect, because if you've ever heard of Miles Guo, Miles Guo is a uh, about this yeah I've, okay I've, you probably know more about it than me but i um have heard of that that he's basically all his funding comes from this big anti-china uh chinese dissident guy right yeah miles guo had um basically gotten i want to say it was like 10 million dollars from loans that he just completely defaulted on from another ccp um billionaire and uh, hmm. they came and like seized the boat. So like the boat that Steve Bannon did all these videos on with Miles Guo, they seized that boat. And it was actually in his daughter's name. It wasn't in Miles Guo's name. It was in Guo's daughter's name. So, you know, he tried to lean on that and say like, hey, this is my boat. But she literally never operated the boat. It was... I wrote a hard article for it or on this at the Libertarian Institute. But basically like he had a... Miles Guo hired Bannon, and I'm a little shady on some of these details, but I mean, he was paying like $150,000 a year or something like that. Like he was paying him stupid amounts of money for um, basically strategic consulting services. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so that's a good example. I don't know if Kevin um, is talking about the general public or specifically the right wing. Um, I guess either way, I kind of like generally agree with him, but I think the mm -hmm. problem is and this is true of me too. Like I, the, I think the non warlike people are kind of like generally content, happy people with their lives. So they don't go around right. screaming at you about what we need to do. So it's like, mm -hmm. it's that 10% that are like belligerent that really like move the needle sadly. 
And I and I know some friends on the left who are like yeah. equally as belligerent as the neocons, where they're like, I mean, certainly on the whole Ukraine stuff, but yeah, same yeah. with China. Um, definitely with Israel. That's uh, certainly the Jewish ones with Israel. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah. I but I think in general, like to his point, the vast majority of people are good people who you know don't want to see and that's actually what happened with my parents who were initially kind of believing like oh my god hamas is so uniquely evil when as time goes on you realize like you know they're they're no worse than the well they're actually they're actually better than the idf in terms of uh yeah i agree in terms of you know number of casualties but it's not like they're like this tribal vicious thing compared to the idf yeah. but as the what i was going to say is as the war has gone on my parents even watching fox news where the coverage is very slanted mm -hmm. they still show the ruinous like neighborhoods and stuff and the bombings and stuff. And so, and so my parents, cause they're good people with a conscience as the weeks have gone on are like, okay, well, when, when is enough going to be enough here? Cause like I've, I've heard 70% of homes have been destroyed. I mean, it's just like 70%. I mean the war, how much longer can the war go on before the whole house is destroyed? I mean, 70% is such an insane number. Right. Well, that, and then like, even like thinking, I think it was what one percent of the population in the last three months has literally been killed. One percent of yeah. the population. Yeah, and then seventy percent. I mean, if they're not just totally pushed out into Egypt, it's like, what are they? They're going to come back to rubble, and like, I mean, they're going to have to rebuild like all these. They're going to have to somehow clear all that concrete, yeah. and then like probably you know find a bunch of the missing people under there, sadly, and then just re. It's just an insane. Like how anyone could support it so insane. I mean, like the 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 seventy percent number just kind of blows my mind. Seventy percent of the people do not have homes anymore. How do you how do you ever recover from that? And how do you expect like a less like even if you kill the Hamas leaders, how do you expect like a less radical group to come after in the wake of that? Like you just you just absolutely devastated these people. Um, it's it's so insane. Yeah, I um, the one talking point that kind of made me happy was um, I work with like mostly boomers because I'm an automotive technician by uh, trade, and uh, I remember them saying, "Well, Biden went over to Israel's border before he even visited our own border," and I was like, "Well, <laughs> it's it's not perfect, but I'm much gladder, you know, much happier to hear them say, well, he's not visiting the border, but he's doing, you know, he's.'" I'm, I'm just happier to hear that rather than saying, oh, well, we need to kill all them damn Arabs, you know? Yeah, I find, I always do that, the same thing, just kind of find the silver lining in, like, yeah. boomer, uh, conservative, things like that. Right. Um, I think Tucker's kind of a good analogy for that. I mean, Tucker's way better than than most boomers, but, like, Tucker, um, to, to my knowledge, has not really criticized Israel yet, yeah, which is a bit disappointing, because yeah. I've heard, I mean, this is actually just through a tweet that Jake Shields, who's um, the MMA guy who's super critic, critical of Israel. Yeah. Met Tucker and someone asked him, like, what are his views on Israel? And Jake said, um, it's not really my place to share, but I hope he shares them. So that indicated to me that Tucker is a critic of Israel. But it's sad to see even someone like Tucker Carlson just not say anything about it. But luckily, he's kind of saying those talking points you're talking about where he's like, yeah. like I don't think, why would we send money to a foreign nation and stuff like that? So he's kind of hinting at it. But it, a full-throated critique of Israel from Tucker would, would just be huge, um, yeah. for the conservative well, base. When he was on Dave's show, um, I really, really liked his talking point of like when they said, Oh, 
Netanyahu was saying, oh, the rest of the world's going to have to absorb some Palestinians. And um, I really like the way that Tucker put it. And I'm not a Tucker Carlson fan like that much. I, I like some of the stuff that he says, but like he's also been a big China propagandist as well. Um, I really like that he said like, well, what do you think of my country when you say that we have to absorb these people? It makes me think that you think our country is a piece of shit or that it's a trash bin that you can throw your trash in. Like just that perspective, I'm like, that's actually like a really good perspective for right-wingers to have who love Israel. Because if we're told that Hamas and Palestinians are all animals and there's no innocent Palestinians, as uh, uh, the Israeli president said, then what does that mean when you're saying all these other countries have to absorb them because we're cleansing them from their land. That means that you think that all the other territories are trash bins, essentially. Yeah, I mean, that that's a great point. Um, I remember Tucker saying that. I took it a different way. But yeah, the way you actually interpreted it was was very good. I, I um, just like autistically, I thought he was like, that people were making that argument like verbatim. And I was like, I've just never heard anyone say this argument. But, it, but if you actually, if you think about it, that is actually very accurate of like the mindset of someone like Netanyahu. Exactly. Where, where he just like exploits the shit out of our country but then pays yeah. like lip service to, you know, um, to us. And, and, and you're right. Yeah. So many Republicans, especially like, especially the ones in government are just, are just doing like exactly that. Like when um, this one clip I put out, it was a uh, dissensored news. If you've seen them, they, they published the clip. Um, Cause Max Blumenthal didn't want to publish it for um, silly reasons, but I didn't really care. But so I went around talking, asking members of Congress about, how the how the Israel had been funding Hamas for years, which Dave Smith uh, and Scott Gordon have been talking about, yeah. and so um, a lot of the congresses didn't, or a lot of the congressmen didn't know about it. Like they had no idea. In fact, all of them didn't have any idea. <laughs> but um, one of the responses I got from Byron Donalds, who's Byron Donalds, was kind of like the MAGA populist guy, mm. but he and and on two occasions I've talked to him about this. He he like, and he's really smooth. Like he's very like good at just responding, but he's like, yeah, well, like Israel, one of our greatest allies of all time, you know, why would we not help them out? And I was like, well, I mean, you were making the, the up argument against this about Ukraine. And he's like, hold on. Ukraine is like my, my friend who I just met at the party. Israel is like my boy. Uh... I was like, he sounded good, but it was just so stupid. And then, yeah. but, but what's really frustrating is like to the trash bin argument is like, he's just out there saying like, Israel's our greatest ally, probably because he's getting money from APAC. But when you look at like when you actually look at the Israel-US relationship and you look at that, I mean, there's there's so many examples, but there's that one uh, in the 90s where they had this fake um, phone line installation company. It wasn't fake. It was an Israeli phone line installation company, but they have programmed a backdoor in it where they could. Um, oh, and they, and they got a contract to install the phone lines for the White House. Do you, are you, do you know this story? Is that uh, urban moving systems or am I thinking about something else? No, urban moving systems is the um I know that's about 9-11 stuff, but so that's another okay. great example um yeah. of just <laughs> Israel treating us like a trash can um, <laughs> to get us to do what they want. But so yeah. no, the uh so in the nineties apparently, and this is apparently corroborated by two different sources, and it was referenced in the New York Post, mm -hmm. and there are some books about it. Okay. So they had Israel always does these like front companies, um, tech companies now, but back in the day, I guess it was these phone line companies. And they somehow get the contract to install the White House phone lines. I don't know the story too well, but I'm, you know, how, how you give a foreign government your contract to install, you know, your White House's phone lines is just is crazy. But it just goes to show there was probably someone on the inside who got that contract for Israel. But so they um, they get 
and it's it sounds unbelievable, but I would encourage everyone to go look it up. They get audio recording of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky having phone sex. And and Netanyahu, who is like still in power at the time because he's been in power for so long, like tries to blackmail Bill Clinton with it to get some Israeli spy released from prison or something. So it's like Whoa. that's one example of like our greatest ally, supposedly, like blackmail wiretapping our White House and blackmailing our president. Um, yeah. And then Urban Moving Systems is a great example that you brought up too, where these Mossad agents just happen to be um, potentially before the first plane even hits, but definitely before the second plane even hits. They're filming, high-fiving, holding a lighter up to the smoldering wreckage of um, not, of the World Trade Center. Yeah. And turns out they're Mossad agents. Turns out they have plane tickets to leave on the next day to go back to Israel. Mm -hmm. There's apparently explosive re residue found in the van. They have photos in the van of the World Trade Center from like from like one of the evenings prior. Um, everything about this screams: these guys knew that this attack was coming, and they did. They did not warn the U.S. And when they get pulled over, um, they well, and when they get taken to the FBI and interrogated, the FBI asked them, um, "Why were you guys celebrating?" Because in the photos, it's very clear. Not only witnesses were saying it, but in the photos, it's clear that they were celebrating this. And so the FBI is like, why were you guys celebrating? And they say, we were celebrating because the U.S. Um, is naive to terrorism. And this would finally be a wake up call for them to sympathize with what Israel deals with every day. But but keep in mind, they were celebrating before the second plane hit when like most people thought it was no, no, nobody knew it was a terrorist attack. Some people thought it was an accident, like yeah. that a plane just accidentally flew into New York. So. So there's just overwhelming evidence. Oh, and then Alan Dershowitz is the guy who gets these guys the deal released back to Israel. Alan Dershowitz, of course, also got Jeffrey Epstein off the deal in 2008. Mm -hmm. um, another Mossad agent. So it's just all this circumstantial evidence that these guys knew exactly when and where 9-11 was happening. Um, and not only intentionally didn't tell us, like maybe they were even worse and they were egging it along, but at least they didn't tell us so that we would get involved in some war in the Middle East. I, like the idea that this is our greatest ally is ridiculous. If anything, all the evidence adds up to like, they're by far our worst enemy. You know what I mean? Like they are manipulating us to levels like that are kind of hard to comprehend. And then, and that most people literally can't comprehend. Um, if you've ever tried to tell someone about the, the dancing Israelis and urban moving systems, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. My, oh, my yeah. friends, especially my Jewish friends were like, you're like, you share an opinion with David Duke. Like, this is crazy. You know, <laughs> you're an anti-Semite. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. I got called that for sure. <laughs> so one thing that I wanted to kind of throw your way and I want to get to some of the uh, other comments is that like, when you hear a lot of right-wingers talk about Israel it, it, or I'm sorry, not Israel, but China, you can apply pretty much all their criticisms to Israel and you would be correct. Like, isn't that kind of funny how that works? And specifically when you said the fronts, like the um, these uh, Israeli front companies that do all this contract work and blackmail the U.S., um, Israeli companies wiretapping and spying on U.S. citizens, um, you know, committing genocide, which is what they accuse China of. Just like you go down the line. Who's using spies to infiltrate, yeah. you know, various levels of government. Yeah. It is insane how like, and Robbie Martin is, um, you know, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but like, he's the one that kind of said that on his podcast. And then just when I started thinking about it, I'm like, holy fuck. Oh, and influential in the United States, hugely, but you never talk about that. They always want to talk about China, but like Israel, once again, all the accusations they make of China are 100% true about Israel with like 
books and books and books of proof. So it's just like a, a funny little tidbit that the as soon as you said that, I'm like, holy fuck, that's like another box checked yeah. off there. And 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 then with, and then with China, it's always like a, it's like a counterfactual. It's always like they're about to like they 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 made that <laughs> island in the South China Sea. There it looks they're about to try to take over the world, or they have this like economic deals with some country where they don't have a military presence, and it's like up. up they're going to use that economic deal for influence, which they probably are to some extent, but like, it's all, yeah, but I mean, is that any worse than what we're doing? No, no, it's way better, but it's, but it's always <laughs> like there, it's always this like conspiracy of what China's like about to do or like what China's right. thinking and getting ready to do. And then, yeah, exactly. You're right. There's reams of evidence of what Israel has done mm -hmm. and that's ignored or, or net and never reported on and, and thrown out as conspiracy or anti-Semitic, of course. Yeah. Um, but so one thing that Conrail asks is, what do you guys think about the possible withdrawal from Syria and Iraq? Um, I'm not 100% sure what he's referring to. Uh, you might have a little bit of a better idea than I do. No, I actually don't know. I'm sorry. I, I haven't uh, I haven't been following that as closely as I should have been. I've uh, been busy on some other work. But um, mm. if he wants to tell us, you know, I'm, I well, if the, the way the question sounds, it sounds pretty good. Are we withdrawing from Syria and Iraq? Oh, maybe yeah. he's referring to... Um, Iraq has recently um, encouraged the U.S. to get its bases out of there. I don't know if you saw that, but I think I remember sure the president of Iraq like was like, after these latest bombings, was like, get get out of here. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You guys are causing so many issues. Yeah. And to that, I think, is, is very scary. Um, again, talking about things like the petrodollar, we are ruining all of our alliances because of Israel. Um, and if that ever does get to the point where Saudi Arabia stops selling oil in U.S. dollars, we could really pay the price, price in terms of inflation to the point that, like, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to speculate on how bad it could get because it's scary to think about. But, yeah, things like that are crazy stupid, and um, it's the problem when – when we are this tied at the hip to Israel. And it's, it's, uh, it's so frustrating because it's so ingrained. It's like, I don't even know how to begin to unravel. Like it's, yeah. there's Jeffrey Epstein, the blackmail angle, like how many of them are blackmailed? But then there's also just like fanatical Zionists because they're Jewish or whatever. And like, you right. know, guys like Bill Crystal and Paul, all the founding neocons were basically these like draft dodging Jews who were like, you know, just obsessed with this idea of Israel. So it's like, there's some true believers. There are some people probably blackmailed and then there's some just paid off like APAC and stuff. So it's so ingrained that I don't even know how to begin to unravel it, but I wish guys like Tucker would talk about it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because like you look at Joe Biden and he's like the perfect, how do I want to say this? Like Donald Trump and Joe Biden both work very, very well for their political rivals. So like, it's so funny to hear right wingers say that Joe Biden's leaving our, you know, our greatest ally Israel behind, but APAC actually donated the most to Joe Biden and second, you know, second highest APAC donations received was Hillary Clinton. Number one's Joe Biden. And I'm pretty sure he's like two or three times higher than Hillary Clinton. Um, and then, you are, know, are people, making, are people making that accusation? How, how does that make any sense? I mean, he's, they've yeah. been funding them. Well, actually, well, and, how much have we only given, we've only given one round of funding. 
I should I think so, it, but okay. like over over the last, you know, how many well, years? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, you you got to consider Joe Biden's been in government. But even still, for, fourteen billion is yeah. huge, and it sounds like there's more coming. I mean, hopefully not. But yeah, um, well, I hope they're, that's true. Yeah, they're. Trying I hope. To well, this is why I love the left so much right yeah. now. And like everyone right. is like giving the left shit because it's like, oh my god, they they cheered on hang gliders or whatever, and it's like, um, but I I am like so great. I was thinking about this the other day, just like had a moment of gratitude where I was just like. Thank God there are these people in DC who are, and if you haven't followed this, I think there's protests like every day where these people on the left go and they follow Joe Biden. They shout at him as he's walking to wherever. And they're like, you know, call for a ceasefire right now. And just Genocide God, Joe. God bless those people. Because like, if hopefully that, you know, he, he, he's probably worried. I mean, who knows, maybe they'll steal the election, but he's, he's gotta be worried about um, at least having some support from his base. So it's like, um yeah thank thank god these people are are pushing back on it someone is yeah i before the israel conflict i honestly thought that joe biden was going to eke out a victory over donald trump i think now trump's probably going to win depending on his vp pick um i would i would have probably said two months ago that for sure it was trump and haley versus uh um biden and harris but i don't know who trump's gonna pick for vp because it's starting to look like that's like haley and trump aren't gonna happen so um i agree with you i think trump would definitely win an election right now if it was fair i'm open to um well i'm very open actually to the whole election was stolen stuff um because mm -hmm. i read one of the audits that was done in fulton county georgia and yeah, it was pretty overwhelming that. that georgia um they, they didn't let him review all the ballots, but if you just extrapolate, they let him review a lot. And if you just extrapolate just to Fulton County, it was enough to flip um, the election to Trump. Um, but anyways, uh, oh yeah, so I agree with you. I think Trump would definitely win an election. I am of the view that Trump will not be allowed to win in some capacity, whether it's like through cheating or whether it's like whatever they got to do legally to get him off the ballot. And at worst, honestly, assassination. Um, I, I wouldn't put it past him and I wouldn't put it past like the general public to believe that it, well, actually it would be very, that would actually be really alarming because like the right wing would basically suspect assassination. The left wing would be like, Oh, well some crazy, everyone hates Trump. So some, yeah, it's not surprising. Some somebody crazy was crazy enough to do it. Um, as for VP, um, I actually heard this the other day. Uh, apparently Sebastian Gorka was on some Twitter spaces and said, I heard this third hand, but, he was on a Twitter spaces and like knew claims to know who the VP was and said, it is someone from New York. It's someone who's currently campaigning. It's someone who MAGA trusts and it's um, there was one more, but basically it all the signs led to, to Lee Zeldin, um, which to me is kind of underwhelming. I don't know too much about him, but I did look him up a little bit and he's of course, one of these super pro Israel guys. Um, although Trump on paper probably has that pedigree too. And Trump was, um, Trump was at least good at getting, getting the violence not to spread. And Trump was, um, if you've heard that clip of him where he's talking about Netanyahu and Abbas, mm -hmm. have you seen that clip? No. He's talking about his experience. This is after he's left office, but he's being interviewed for a book. And he's uh, like, I think he's I know like, what you're referring to now. Yeah. He's like, I, you know, I, I, tried to work out a deal. You know, I'd heard, I'd been told my whole life that Palestinians are just savages who never want to make a deal. And within five minutes of getting in the room, Abbas was super nice. He almost felt like a father figure and wanted to work out any kind of deal he could. And within five minutes of talking to Netanyahu, I was convinced that this guy did not want to make a deal. And Trump was like, my whole life, I thought this. 
and I found it not to be the case. It is such a wild clip. I can't believe it hasn't gone more viral. I mean, I think oh. that's part of the problem with the left is like how much they hate Trump that they're not yeah. spreading this thing like wildfire. But it, it is it is such a wild clip. People uh, should listen to it. Yeah, you, well, you know what? Maybe I'll look that up. But like one thing about Joe Biden, and I mentioned earlier that they said, "Oh, well, we're leaving." That there were some right wingers um, claiming that uh, Biden is leaving our uh, greatest ally behind. But um, you know, by all accounts, even his own staffers are starting to quit um, because they say that he's so pro-Israel and that he's like the most personally involved with Israel, and he just absolutely loves israel and then you know there's clips of him saying like oh well if israel didn't exist we'd have to make one and the one clip where he says he was like hey, you know if i were a jew i'd be a zionist but i did not need to be it was, it was something like that <laughs> i haven't seen that one but that sounds hilarious is that a recent one that's a senile biden one I'm pretty sure it was pretty old. Uh, okay. I, I always share, but yeah, he's just, yeah. My dad always told me that or, uh, I, if I were a Jew, I'd be a Zionist. And then my dad told me I did not need to be. And then he like yells, the nation of Israel is essential to the United States. <laughs> I have to see this clip now. Yeah, let me um, see if I can find it. Yeah. But on the people resigning from like State Department and stuff, like I, my, my view that, I mean, it's, I guess it's good that it sends a message, but like, Right. My view of those people has always been like, what are you doing? Like, why don't you fucking make up, make as much of a mess as you can until you get fired? You know what I mean? Like you, you got to use your position. You're, you're being right. a state department official carries weight in those ridiculous DC circles that sadly hold power. So you need to use that and not just quit and like make a post about it. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're going to be in that kind of position, like you said, you might as well make use of it. Okay. So, and, and that's, and to, that's what I did with, you know, my Epic times and everything. Um, yeah. and I'm, I'm glad I did, but anyways. Yeah. Right. Okay, Jew, I would be a Zionist. And my father pointed out to me, I did not need to be a Jew to be a Zionist. For I am. Israel is essential to the security of Jews worldwide. It's, yeah, it's, it's so bad. <laughs> I mean, that that's that was seven years ago. So, I mean, that's not like a new clip, but that that's totally Joe Biden. The facial expressions and like the tone and everything. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it, he is he is hilarious, to be honest. I think he's funnier than Trump in a lot of ways. It's just it's, it's just so sad that like we have to deal with these consequences of him being in power. But he's hilarious. I, I got to admit. I, I can't like bring myself to hate him. Like my coworkers, like <laughs> I'm not saying they would do this, but if they could do it without consequence, they would probably make the president go away. If you know what I'm saying, <laughs> like they do not, they rant and they hate him. But like, I don't know. He's like some old dude. Who's probably the most corrupt motherfucker in the world. Like go, go send him in like a gentle prison or something like that. So he could just like die and eat ice cream or something like that. You know, I don't want him to like get tortured or anything like that. Okay. Maybe a little bit, but right. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, if I could, um, I so I'm not like my my view on kind of like assassination type stuff is like in in theory like morally it's like you know I mean they they launch these murder campaigns that kill like millions of people but then it's like for some reason like them being exposed to murder is like oh what like how how could you do that but um yeah. but that said like I think like realistically like if you go like 
if someone has assassinated the president, I hate Biden and I want him out too. But like, if you, if you do something like that, then you get Kamala Harris. Then you also give the government excuse to, to like crack down on extremists. And like, if there's some sort of political assassination. Right. So I, I think, and I've heard Michael Malice talk about this too, who hates the government more than anyone. Like, um, the reality of like assassinations like that are, are really, you just, you just give you, first of all, you scare people in government and you give them the excuse to like, just erect like, you know, a total, um, an even stronger police state and the public will buy into it and sign on to it. So I guess the real solution is, is like, you know, well, I, I, I personally, I'm a huge Dave Smith fan. And I just think what he's doing is like amazing. It's like waking as many people up as you can. And then, I'm also a fan of like, not even like, like, I'm not a diehard, like, Oh, we gotta, we gotta change America. Like I would happily move to Argentina and go live in a Malay um, governed world. You know what I mean? Or like Prospero is that thing they tried to do in Honduras that like Peter Thiel and some guys bought this Island. And I think they're having some trouble with the Honduran government, but like, I, I I'll happily go find Liberty wherever I can, but right. yeah, on, on assassination, like, you know, like the U.S. government is just so powerful that they're going to fucking crack down if anything like that happens. I mean, I, I, which is why I hope something like that never happens. Cause I, I just, you can only imagine like the DHS doubling in budget immediately. They'll start spying oh, yeah. on people like us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This podcast will be taken down real quick or, you know, I'll be on some kind of watch list. Um, So one thing I know you want to talk about, we're, we're finally going to get around to it. Uh, Gonzo, Gonzola Lira or whatever the hell his name is. Um, Coach Red Pill is his name. And he was doing just journalism over in Ukraine and then had died in Ukrainian prison. That's my understanding of him. I don't know much about him <clears throat> outside of that. So what was your story and situation with kind of, Gonzalo Lira and that whole deal. Yeah. So he, I mean, uh, I do refer to him as a journalist some, at some times cause like it's, he's not too far off, but he, he was mainly like kind of a YouTuber. Like he would host like YouTube debates and he would, he would actually, he actually debated, um, that YouTuber destiny, the left wing oh, YouTuber. Yeah. They, right. they had actually just coincidentally like crossed streams a couple of times and, and just debated. But so he was kind of this YouTube personality, um, I don't know much about him. From what I've heard, he was kind of like weird and radical in some ways. And I guess he was almost like a self-help coach to some people sure. um, on the right. Um, but anyways, yeah, all he was doing was publishing YouTube videos and crit- harshly criticizing the whole war effort and saying like the Ukrainian army is going to get fucked and um, Zelensky's an, an authoritarian and um, stuff like that. And so he was once in this hotel and he lived, he lived in Ukraine. He's an American citizen, but he was residing in Ukraine even before the war broke out. Mm-hmm. And there was one video that I, this is what they justified to arrest him. He's in the lobby or he's in like a dining room of a hotel. Mm-hmm. And he's for whatever reason, I guess he's in the hotel with like the foreign journalists. So he's filming like a selfie video and he's kind of bold. He's like filming selfie style. And he's like, these fucking guys, these are all the propagandists who are let, who are, you know, prolonging this war and so he's like kind of loudly talking at dinner and like disturbing and shitting on them so kind of a cool interesting video but they were like oh my god he was like doxing these journalists and and revealing their identities but you couldn't see anyone's face he didn't say what hotel he was at like it was not doxing by any means um and so they show up to his house with machine guns and they haul him off to prison um so I'm in Epic Times at the time and I read about it in Daily Beast. That was like the only place that had covered it. 
and they only covered it to like call him a Putin simp and like a, you know, far right winger. Like they were happy about it. Yeah. And I was like, how is no one covering this? And I, so I asked my editors at Epic Times, I was like, can I, can I write a story about this? This is an American citizen who is sitting in a Ukrainian prison and all he did was publish stuff online. Could I either write about it or ask the State Department about it? And my editor was like, no, no, thanks. Like an exact quote was like, no need. Thanks, Liam. Um, and I was just like, I mean, I was blown away. And so I waited, um, I waited a couple weeks and I asked again. And this is when I had already started talking to Max Blumenthal at the Gray Zone. And yeah. so I asked again, I was like, come on, can I just ask about this? Oh, oh, in one context I asked about, if you remember those, do you remember those like black socialist guys who um, were like speaking on a megaphone kind of in favor of Russia and like, or like anti-Ukraine war? These are mm -hmm. American black socialist guys who Tucker Carlson okay. did a statement on it. Sure. And they're just like on a megaphone giving a public speech about like an opposition to the Ukraine war. And they were charged. Um, I don't know if they got convicted, but there were charges presented like accusing them of being foreign agents assisting Russia, assisting an enemy, just for like being on a megaphone and like- In America? Uh, yeah, in America. Or in Ukraine? Oh, in no America. shit. They, they had, the, the rationale was that they had visited Russia for like a, a meeting. Like they just, they just like went over there to like, I think to like network basically. Like these guys had a pretty small following, but they were like these yeah. socialist guys who loved Russia. And so they went over there one time and met with some Russian officials. And then they're like, oh, you, you guys didn't register as foreign agents. Like, you you know, we can like, they, they were facing prison time. I actually don't know what ended up happening. But so the Epic Times heard about that um, ridiculous story. And I actually tried to cover that too. And they didn't let me. Um, but they heard about it in a different context. And, and so they, they sent me to the State Department. And they were like, hey, Liam, can you ask about um, these Russian foreign agents who were just indicted? Um, and can you ask the State Department if they're considering sanctions against Russia over it? And I was like, I was like, what these, these, are we considering sanctions against Russia because of these black guys who went on the megaphone? Like it was the most loaded question that also just like completely uh, fabricated what actually, what these guys were. He, they just right. wanted me to say Russian agents. And so in response to that, I was like, I was like, okay, I'll ask that, but can I ask about Gonzalo Lira, the American who's in uh, Ukraine? And then they didn't let me do it again. And then finally I just went ahead and did it. I just went to the State Department without telling them and, and published it on my Twitter and then um, uh, sent it out to a couple of places and, and uh, Zero Hedge picked it up. And luckily it went somewhat viral. Um, luckily, because like, at least I got some, you know, bang for my buck. Yeah. Um, like Jackson Hinkle, who, who's a bit crazy, but Jackson Hinkle, who's good on this stuff, um, picked it up and like a bunch of people were talking about it. And then they they called me into the office like later that week and then, uh, and then I was basically, I was actually technically taken off. They were basically like, you're on three month probation. But then I started going to Capitol Hill in my free time in film in like filming interviews anyways. And then they fired me. But, um, yeah, it was like, I mean, the, the idea that an American is in the prison of like one of our strongest allies just for exercising free speech online. And that this news organization, Epic times was not going to cover it and actually prevented me from covering it is so crazy it was the final straw and i was you know i was already talking with max so i was like fuck it i just gotta gotta ask about it and then you know since then he's he's actually uh since then he died in prison that was that was happened pretty recently he actually died in prison um i think they eventually put him in a medical ward but it was it was like it was something basically he was a smoker and it was probably pneumonia 
pneumonia. Um, very, very treatable illness. And so he died in prison because the Biden administration, which they could have done with like one phone call, they could have gotten this guy released from prison. He died because Biden didn't do anything. And probably not only that, but a lot of people speculate that Biden wanted him there and probably gave the order to have this guy arrested. You know what I mean? Like, would, would Ukraine arrest an American citizen on its own? Would it, would it do that without having the sign off from Biden? Probably not because they wouldn't want to jeopardize their funding. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's, yeah, that's basically the scoop with Lyra. Holy crap. Jeez. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy when you consider our allies and how they kind of treat our citizens, our country and how they kind of look at our people and what we do for them. And it's like, they treat us with absolutely zero respect. They're not grateful at all. Like look at how Zelensky and Netanyahu act when it comes to them getting funding. They're like petulant children. They cry, scream, and they show absolutely zero graciousness. And like, look, I'm, we're probably on the same page. Like no foreign aid to anybody, anytime, anywhere for any reason. Um, sure. But like, Ukraine, just... I, I will say, I mean, like, I, I like, don't respect the Ukrainian government, but, in, but like, yeah. just from that analogy, Israel's way worse. I mean, we already went over all yeah. their espionage things in our country. Right. Ukraine, I feel bad because I think they've been kind of duped into this, like, Oh um, yeah, how RFK said it, or or someone said it like we let him down the primrose path or whatever. That was uh, John oh Mearsheimer, right? John Mearsheimer. That's yeah. It, yeah. So they so that was so well said of just like Victoria Newland and these diplomats coming over and being like, "Don't worry, guys, we got your back." Like right. you know, and and we basically used them as a sandbox to weaken Russia, meaning kill a bunch of their civilians, destroy a bunch right. of their cities, um, and it's you know, like that's what I actually feel have some sympathy for them, whereas with Israel, I don't have any because they are just fucking we we are we we are from my read of it we're like totally israel's bitch like we don't yeah we don't stand up to them ever and they seem to and then and also what's interesting is like as a kid when the war on terror was going on like i had no idea like what really those that was all about and as i'm as i learn more it's like wow these these all these wars were like about israel basically and as, as scott horton said it really good in the tom woods he does an interview with tom woods recently that everyone should watch it's really good and Scott Horton talks about like it's either directly has to do with Israel or it's like a cleanup job of some problem that happened having to do with Israel. All of our Middle Eastern conflicts are under those two categories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's generally kind of how it shakes out. I, I have uh, enough already actually on Audible and I got to listen to it. He's coming on next week and we're going to do a uh, I, I did part of a. Uh, that podcast I did where I debunked the uh, whole China buying all the farmland thing. I called it debunking propaganda and I'm going to have Scott on next week to do um, a spiel on Russiagate because I haven't done a debunking propaganda episode. And I know that he's getting ready to release a book on that. So I figured, okay, well, you know, why not kind of let him, you know, roll through the whole deal? Cause I'm sure I'll be doing lots of interviews. Yeah. With that, very but... cool. no, I'll definitely be watching that. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it's, it, it's interesting because like there is this, kind of to the point I was making earlier, like you have Trump who got accused of being a Russian agent and there were like some loose, very like benign connections where like his family knew some people that lived in Russia or something like that. Like just very, very loose connections. Like they're more secure connections when it comes to like Biden and China, but it's not about like China owning Biden. It's the fact that the Biden family is, is the Biden crime family. And there are a bunch of corrupt oligarchs who will do anything for money and power. And China just happened to be one of those stepping stones on their way to, you know, money and power. Yeah. And um, I don't know too much about Russiagate, but on your point of um, Biden being corrupt and in bed with China, 
I ironically, like, this is another thing that like, when I bring up, uh, like if I'm talking, I talk, I love talking about politics with my mom. Cause she, she loves this stuff too. Yeah. But when she, she'll bring up that talking point, like, Oh my God, Biden, Biden's in bed with China. And I always say like, you know, to be honest, like, I'm glad he's in bed with China. Cause like, at, at least that's something that might like bring us back from the brink of world war three. Like, yeah. sure. He's like looting the American public and enriching himself off office. But, um, if it is the, I mean, who knows like how deep and what like relationships he has, whether it's with Xi Jinping or some like corrupt Chinese businessman, but things like that and things like Newsom, like the right wing got really pissed at Newsom when he cleaned up the streets to like come have Xi Jinping over it. And when he went over yeah. there and played basketball with those kids, I was, I looked at that and I was like, dude, I, it's I, I will immediately, I actually, no, I actually watched that and I would have voted for Newsom over DeSantis solely because of that. Because DeSantis was such a China hawk. He was such an Israel hawk. And yeah. I was like, I will take the corrupt croniest here in America who's going to be a, you know, probably an authoritarian. Yeah, 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 maybe. A, I don't know if he's full authoritarian, but I was like, I'll take that if we're not, if you're going to ease relations with China and then hopefully Russia too. But yeah, so I was, um, I don't know your take on that, but I, I totally broke ranks with the right on Newsom and his China relations. Yeah, no, I think any China relations are good. Um, it, it's just when people start talking about China owning Biden, it's like, well, you just have to look at his policy. He escalated the amount of warships that sail through the Taiwan Strait. Um, he's came out and said, we will militarily defend Taiwan. Um, Kamala Harris did the whole signing, you know, a treaty with the Philippines that guarantees their defense in the event of, uh, you know, a um, you know, a, a dispute over the reefs, you know, second Thomas Shoal over there in the Philippines. Um, those are disputed routes between China and the Philippines. Basically, Kamala went over there and said, like, hey, well, if China were to screw around your reefs, we will defend you militarily. Um, so, I mean, the Biden administration has been way more hawkish than the Trump administration on China. And then I think, you know, once and, and I mean, fucking Biden ran an ad in 2020 saying like Trump isn't tough enough on China. So, you know, but, you know, that's actually a great point. Like I kind of I'm kind of taking back a lot of what I just said. I who, who knows what, how I view that kind of is or well, you're totally right um, from being a reporter and going to think tanks and having to listen to speeches from these like low level general guys and stuff. What I realize is that a lot of it's, it's a lot of those guys who are the ones aggressively pushing that policy. And I view Biden as kind of this weak husk who just like lets it all happen. Yeah. Um, but you're right. He does say stuff like that in public. Um, who knows if it's lip service? I'm kind of just like praying like a white pill, like, God, hopefully, like he is in bed with Xi Jinping. So like he's it's all just right. lip service. But no, no, there are genuine true believers. I mean, you go to these um, think tanks, which are just horrible places, but. Um, what's the one CSIS and like you listen to these horrible vapid talks, but they're all like, they're all enormous China hawks and like, um, uh, Eli, Eli Ratner. I don't know if you've heard yeah. that. He's, I, I, yeah. He's high up there. He's a huge China hawk. And, um, we should, I actually forgot about this. I, I was at the CSIS and I, we never published it. I just forgot to clip it out, but we should publish that with Grayson. But, um, yeah, I just kind of, I forget exactly what it was so long ago now that I forget what I asked him, but, I, but, I tried to say like, um, well, I can't remember. I'm going to butcher it, but uh, that's kind of my take on is like, and it's kind of scary because there's this huge organism under Biden where even if Biden or even if Trump gets in, unless Trump cleans house, there's this whole organism organism with like groupthink, anti-China groupthink yeah. where everyone and everyone's trying to get their policy approved. You know what I mean? So they can brag about it and they can get the promotion. And all of the general direction is towards escalation with China. And that's what's very scary when you think about it.
Yeah. Um, that's why, like, ironically, like, you know, the COVID, the COVID authoritarian days and like the Jan 6 domestic war on terrorism stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of of the view is of like, like, God, if they could just like, maybe we should be making more of a ruckus so they focus on us more and they don't start a world war. Like I'll, I, I'll take my chances with authoritarianism as opposed to yeah. world war three, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, who knows? You, you're right though. I mean, Biden's China posture is very scary and belligerent. Yeah. Well, you know, like when they had the whole deal with them cleaning the streets, um, I, I actually agree with you that like, that's a good sign of diplomacy because like they're trying to roll out the red carpet. And then of course, I don't know if you saw the clip. It was actually pretty funny. Uh, Biden called Z a dictator literally like the day after he left <laughs> Anthony Blinken's face. He's just like, <laughs> like right at that second, because you know, yeah, he's, that, that clip, that clip is so funny. It's, I kind of exaggerate, but it, it's like a, it's like a, he like it's like he gets hit in the stomach it's, just, <laughs> it's such a good clip it's so funny yeah well anthony blinken completely agrees with joe biden he's like yeah he's a fucking dictator and yeah he wants to fight a war with him but like he's like we literally just had this meeting and we're trying to like smooth things over here and then he just goes and does that but uh you know maybe another you know point in the basket there would be uh trump uh with that one crazy lady he was interviewing her and uh, she asked him about, uh, oh, she was saying, oh, well, Taiwan makes all of our chips. And, he, you know, in a very Trump fashion, he says, you know, it's very bad that they make all their chips over there. It's really screwing America. But I, I don't want to say that we would go to war with them, but I, I don't know. I'd have to be in the situation. I'm like, OK, well, just that alone saying that, like, you won't straight up go to war with China. I'm rooting for you, Trump. Like, I hate Trump. But like in that regards. Just, just keep yeah. that shit up, please. <laughs> yeah, I I personally think Trump's probably the best. I mean, I I really like, yeah. uh, except for Israel, because I I genuinely think he's like blackmailed or threatened or something. But except for Israel, I also really like RFK. Um, yeah. I I don't know what his deal is with Israel, but like um, I Dave, Dave Smith Dave Smith hasn't said this publicly, and ho- hopefully people don't say him. I'm saying this, but Dave Smith also believes that that he's like blackmailed or something on his by Israel. And um, I've, I've wanted to even like, you know, just like reach out to him and see what the deal was. I, Cause I know Dennis Kucinich like resigned because of his, because uh, of his Israel stance. Yeah. Um, oh, you said something that I was, that I was just thinking, uh, what did you say about. Um, was it Trump and uh, fighting a war with China? No, it was before that. It was like on uh, the, um, the Taiwan chips. Maybe it was that. I'm totally, I'm totally drawing a blank. But yeah, I mean, the the chips thing, I think, is a lot of is a lot of fear mongering. I mean, it's like yeah. we we make well, oh oh that's oh yeah that is what it was. Is that in a in a war over the chips? Like we're claiming to go to war over these chips, but like Taiwan's going to be destroyed in the process. So nobody's getting these chips. Like the country's going to be destroyed. Well, then even the State Department officials said that hey, we'll blow the island up anyway. It's like that will blow the ship factories the, um, up. So is it really about the chips? Yeah, I think you're referring to the there's a it was the most downloaded paper in the army. It was the most downloaded, like kind of policy suggestion paper. And that's what you're referring to. It was this it was this actual plan. Um, and it was the most widely downloaded kind of like thesis paper or whatever of the year. And the plan was if China invades Taiwan, at a minimum, we should blow up the semiconductor plants so they can't have them. Which like, I mean, it's just like, it just shows, that's 
typical rationale of like a statist, like, like, you know, at least they won't have them. Like we'll all be poor, but it, like China sells us like everything, but like, yeah. let's not let them have these chips, even though they would probably just sell it to us. Like they sell everything to us. Yeah. Um, and so Taiwan responded to that Taiwan, like that kind of got around in the news and Taiwan uh, forget what the guy's role was probably like defense minister or something was like, if anybody fires on our semiconductor chips, we're firing back. Like he, he basically <laughs> said like, we'll, we'll take shots at you like United States. Which yeah, was they'll they'll fire back with yeah they'll they'll fire back with the weapons that we sold them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, Taiwan is something. I mean, I, I'm kind of of the view. I actually am like my white pill on that whole thing is that I hope, um, and I actually do have like some sort of faith in like cooler heads prevailing in China because mm -hmm. I actually think China kind of at least um, internationally does kind of operate like a good they want good business. They want good client right. relationships. And like, they're probably they don't have much of a choice. They really. probably looked at like Ukraine and they're like, we don't want to like deal with all that. And like, I, I don't, um, I hope so. I mean, I hope that's the case. I, I hope they realize how psychotic the people in our Pentagon are because sadly it's true. Like they, they, you know, they probably will go to war over this shit. And it's, it's just, I mean, that's the really big one. Like the Israel stuff from a moral standpoint, obviously is horrible. Um, and it does concern me a lot too. I mean, like, you know, yeah. um, who like terrorist attacks definitely could come here in the U S. Um, but the China Taiwan one, that is the really scary, um, conflict if it ever erupts. I mean, that's like the kind of thing where I'm, I'm getting out of the U S if that starts. Yeah. Well, it's when it comes to China and Taiwan and you well, not even just that, but like you look at China versus the U S like China is garnering goodwill all over the world. And I remember, I, I wish I could remember who said this, but uh, they said that, you know, we go into a country with bombs and China goes in with a briefcase. Now you could definitely make the argument that there's probably some debt trap diplomacy, but like China isn't doing usury as in like, they're not charging interest on some of their loans. They're forgiving some of the loans down in Africa. They're building infrastructure. Once again, if it's debt trap diplomacy, I, I, I could believe that, but like they're not killing thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. They're building goodwill with other countries, which is like, well, why can't we do that? If we did that, then China, we wouldn't be worried about China because they'd be, they'd want to trade with us. We have way more goods and like way more potential than China does. But like, you know, instead we'll look at them and say, oh, well, they're going to like encircle us here because, you know, they're going to build up influence all over the world. They're building all over in Africa, but like, these are mostly poor countries. They're building goodwill and we're just murdering people left and right. So, you know, who's, who are the good guys here? <laughs> I hate to say it's China, but like, yeah. once again, who has more blood on their hands in just the last 30 years? And it's clearly the U S yeah. And it seems like really the only thing we sell are, are weapons, you know, to both sides of all these conflicts and, and yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I wish, I wish we could take a page out of their foreign policy book. I mean, it's, it's, it's really insane. And I think a lot of it goes, I mean, I don't, I don't know the history too well, so I don't want to like speak like an expert, but I do think if you study like the early neocons who, like I said, were all these Israel fanatics, yeah. um, a lot of that belligerency comes from those guys. I mean, that was like, mm -hmm. they were these big imperialists who like, right. um, just started so many like unnecessary wars and like. Um, but just, I just mean to tie it back to like kind of the Israel influence on the U S has been such a hawkish influence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, I mean, there's hope. I mean, like guys like RFK before he became an Israel simp was 
um, articulating what you just said very, very well and very publicly. Um, the, I, th I think the problem is people like us, like I, I I'm in Florida right now. I'm, I'm probably coming back to DC pretty soon, but like people like us hate DC. So it's like, I want nothing to do with DC, but really we do need people like us to just try to get in there, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and cause really it's not really about like the Congress and senators. There are people wouldn't believe it. I mean, this was the cool thing about working at Epic Times is they would send me out almost almost every day. I was either going to the press briefings or I'd be on foot going to some think tank, listening to a talk. Um, and all the talks were like horrible and like no one had anything intelligent to say. But it was so fascinating to see like, oh, my God, like this is how this organism works and this is how it grows. It's like all, all the talks at the think tanks um, and the congressional hearings, they're all kind of like you know, it's this super vague political language, but it's all about like, oh, how can we get more money for my issue? You know what I mean? And that's how, that's why our taxes are like at 50% of our income because they're just like, everybody in DC has a stupid idea that they get around with their buddies who have the power and with enough chit chatting and like, you know, dinner's out, mm -hmm. the idea comes to fruition and we have to pay for it. I mean, it's so it's this crazy self-perpetuating monster of an organism and it's, it's depressing to see. And I wanted to get out of there. But um, I also realized like that, you know, if you do want to have an impact in fixing it, that's kind of where you got to be. Um, and, uh, it, and it was also kind of fascinating to see as well. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, I know you said you want to keep it to an hour. I kept you a little bit over, so I'll apologize for that, but, um, Liam, we should definitely do this again. Where can everybody yeah. find all your uh, work of, uh, busting our uh, wonderful elected officials balls and, uh, follow up with your reporting on the gray zone? Um, I would say mostly just my Twitter handle, which is here on the, on the screen. Um, I haven't, I haven't written in a while, but yeah, I do post the clips of me like confronting members of Congress and going to press briefings there and the gray zone will do it too. They're, um, probably at gray zone. I actually don't know the Twitter handle, but uh, you'll see, I'll retweet it when they tweet of me. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, man, for having me on. We should definitely do it. And we should bring um, either Jose Galison on or um, do a little, do a little three. Oh, uh, Adam Fitzgerald. Have you had him on? Oh yeah. I've had him on a bunch. Me and him are really, really good friends. He's great. No, I would love to do like a, like a three person one and just kind of uh, toss some, whatever everyone's working on those days around. But yeah, no, I really appreciate it, man. It was good to meet you. Yeah, for sure. You too. All right. Well, uh, yeah, if you all got anything else, we'll wrap up. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. Until next time, take care. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.